kidding. I hope he's not. This is Garage Logic Podcast number 91, Feb 1. 2019. It was 54 degrees on this day in 1931 and 28 below in 1951. Uh, we're going to be uh, joining a real-life politician here in just a moment. And now, from the mayor's office, above the boathouse, on the east shore of Spoon Lake, it's Garage Logic with Rookie on Production, Chris Reavers, Director of Social Media. John Hyde in the newsroom, and occasionally Kenny from the Krabby Coffee Shop. Here is your flashlight king, fireworks commissioner, and keeper of common sense, your mayor, Joe Souchere. We're joined by State Senator John Jasinski, District 24, uh, Faribault is your home base, right, John? That is correct. Do you and Reavers know each other? Yes, we do. The Faribault Lakers are our in-common thing. I are, see. Do you play on that club, John? <laughs> no, not at all. Okay. John Jasinski's first-time state senator, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you beat who? I'm sorry. Uh, Vicki Jensen. Vicki Jensen, all right. And uh, so this is your first term. First term, that's correct. And we were uh, wanting to talk to you since, uh, oh, I suppose at least a month ago when we noted that uh, one of the things Tim Walls, one of the first things Tim Walls wanted to do was raise gas taxes in this state. And you uh, promptly seem to indicate that that isn't necessary. No, that's And not. I'd like you to tell us why that. And by the way, where is that proposal right now? Is that still going to be brought forward? You know, we're anticipating coming uh, forward from the from the Democrat side, but uh, we obviously are not in favor of that. Uh, we have a $1.5 billion surplus. Mm-hmm. Uh, two years ago, we enacted we what we're doing is capturing existing uh, auto parts sales tax. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're doing that. And with that bill, we're right at about $275 million a year that we're collecting that we didn't before. That was before going into the general fund. And uh, now we're capturing that along with leased vehicle and uh, rental cars. So we're capturing the tax that's involved with auto and uh, those things and putting that into roads and bridges. And we think that's the smarter way to go about it. Uh, you know, a, a gas tax is so regressive, it really hurts the average person out in greater Minnesota. Well, I was going to say, ideologically, you're opposed to it because of its regressive nature. Absolutely. Right. It hurts. It's going to hurt some single mother more than it's going to hurt some uh, orthopedic surgeon in Chaska with a Jaguar, which I'm all in favor of, by the way. <laughs> I'm just saying he won't notice that increase. Absolutely. But, yep. your, but your mom that you're representing, she might very well. Uh, what do you like? Do you like your chances to defeat this? You know, I, th- I think it makes sense to defeat it. Uh, you know, again, yeah, and for what, what, I'll go back. One, for every one cent in a gas tax, it raises $32 million. Mm-hmm. So we're capturing two hundred. Isn't that something? Yeah, yep. So, uh, no, I, and I don't know what will happen in the end. You know, it's, uh, it gets down to that last uh, couple of weeks in May, and you're in the legislature, and there's lots of, I'll say, horse trading going on. Uh, but we're against it, uh, and I, we just don't want it. We don't need it. And, Why we? Uh, you mean the Republican the caucus? The Republican caucus, correct. Right. Right. Yep. How old are you? Fifty-two. And this is your first uh, public office ever held? Uh, no, I've uh, been in government for almost 28 years, but I'm not a politician. I'm a businessman that got stuck in a politics. So <laughs> I, I want to make that clear. What do you do for a living in real life? I'm a commercial real estate broker. Well, how did you get stuck in politics? Or government, not politics. Government. Actually, when I was going to college at Mankato State, my real estate professor said, you know, when you get back to your town, he said, you should get on a planning commission or a, recre- a board, rec- park and rec board or right. something like that to get involved. So. Ironically enough, I went back to Faribault, and there was an opening on the Planning Commission back in 1993. So I got on the Planning Commission, and within a year I was the chair of the Planning Commission, did that. 
I was kind of a no-nonsense you know, business guy that wanted to make things easier in city government, and uh, people liked that. So they encouraged me, a bunch of business people in Faribault encouraged me to run for city council. Mm-hmm. So then I had city council for a couple years. Uh, then kids came along, and I took a little uh, step back for a while and, and stayed involved with the Economic Development Authority. Uh, but about eight years later, uh, the uh, mayor at the time wasn't very business-friendly, what people were saying. So they encouraged me to run against the mayor in 2009. So mm-hmm. in 2009, I became the mayor of Faribault. of Faribault for eight years. So I did two terms in the city of Faribault as the mayor. And then what compelled the decision to run for state senate? Well, uh, to be pretty funny, because I always tell the story, I got a call, which I thought I was a telemarketer. And it was a guy in the Senate Victory Fund who goes out and recruits people to run for the next higher office. And, mm-hmm. and they said they've been looking for a candidate in District 24, and wherever they went, they, my name kept coming up. So he thought I'd be good. So I set up an interview after I found out it wasn't a telemarketer, and, and they came down. And it went back and forth for probably three or four months. And, uh, you know, the timing wasn't right for me. I had kids in high school, and it was busy, and I was selling real estate, and it would be tough to do that next step. But... The more I thought about it, I thought that's the next step. I'd done city government for eight years. And, you know, once you go through a couple budgets, it kind of gets routine. It's kind of the same old thing. So I thought I'm ready to go to that next level. Uh, I've always been a business guy trying to make taxes lower and, and keep, you know, keep businesses in Minnesota. So it just interested me. And, and finally, I said that I would. And, and, you know, here I am. Well, might you be charged with altruism? Altruism? Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Well, are you? Did you decide to run because you genuinely think you can be useful? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. As rather than important. Uh, yeah. On this show, we've we've absolutely. fallen into the, of capturing various uh, political ideologies, and we seem to be electing a lot of people. I'll I'll use her name, Ilhan Omar, for example, right. who intends to be very important. I don't know how useful she intends to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you strike me as someone who. Uh, what, felt an obligation, maybe? Yeah, I think it's good to give back. You know, Faribault was always good to me, so I said I should give back to my community and, and work with that. I was The biggest thing I did as in Faribault as a mayor was economic development. Brought industry to Faribault, tried to keep taxes low. I uh, love to see businesses expand in Faribault and bring more, more manufacturing industry to Give me an example of how you bring a business to a city. Well, we've done several projects when I was the mayor. Uh, Sage, uh, Sage Glass at the time was looking to expand. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had done a search uh, all over the nation to find a new location for them, and they picked some place out in New York where electric costs were low due to a hydropower facility close by. And, and I, as the mayor, went in with a meeting and, and met with the executives and said, you know, we want you to stay in Faribault. What can we do to keep you in Faribault? Mm-hmm. Uh, went through some simple things at the time, the the at the the gentleman at the time, uh, his wife didn't like a billboard that was out in front of their facility. Uh, so I said, well, we'll get some money and we'll tear the billboard down. Mm-hmm. And that was one thing. And some small things. There was a big package that was put together and it was, you know, go back a, a year before there was a package put out by all kinds of different locations. We did some uh, some tax increment financing, some abatement, the job Z back at the time. Uh, but uh, they... Uh, Deloitte was a, a firm that told them they should go to New York. Mm-hmm. And I That's their accounting firm. It was a, it's a, uh, Deloitte was a company that was hired for them as a firm to, to decide where they should go. All right. Yep. Uh, so I went in and just kind of met with them and said, we'd really like to keep you here. And, and I think that personal touch, putting a meeting together and just trying to find that. So that was one example. Uh, the Woolen Mills in Faribault, a nationally world-known company uh, that went bankrupt due to some issues with the previous owners. So we had that uh as a vacant building in Faribault for a year, and, and I worked with some developers to uh, get them in there. At the time, there was an outstanding water bill 
that uh, the last person had left go, and the property owner was actually from Minneapolis who owned the building but not the business. Mm-hmm. And he got stuck with about a hundred and fifty-four thousand dollar water bill mm-hmm. because he, you know, wasn't active in the business, and also they moved out and went bankrupt, and, and found out there was a water bill that was outstanding. So I went in and, and did a resolution, worked uh, locally to get support to relieve that water bill. As a city, you know, the water really technically doesn't cost you anything. It comes out of your wells. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was an easy economic development tool to keep these guys here. And that seemed to be the last, uh, you know, linchpin that, that made it happen. So we got that relieved, and the Moody's came in from Edina and have invested millions and millions of dollars in the Fairville Woolen Mills and now is more successful than ever. So simple I guess, I guess things. I'm, I guess I'm taking you down this road because you you – you have a lot to bring to the table, in other words, to the state level. You know, yeah, I think Do you think you can be effective. I think my real estate background and business background is something that we need at the Capitol. Mm-hmm. Not, there's not a lot of that, although I will say when I got elected, we have 12 new freshman centers that have a lot of business background. So I think that brings a, a good background to help help bring another turn to the state government. So this is second year, right? We're just starting our third year. You're starting your third, third year, year in yep. office. Correct. Do you like the prospects for a bright future for Minnesota? I do. Minnesota has a lot of great things, uh, but we do have to really watch what we're spending. Our spending has gone up. Governor Dayton, in his eight years, governor, govern, government spending has gone up by 29%. Oh, it's not sustainable. Wow. It's not. Inflation, the same eight years, was 12%. So almost double the spending uh, over inflation in eight years. It's just not sustainable. Out of that 29%, John, what is most of it attributed to, the growth of, the growth of spending? Well, you know, and we haven't got a lot out of it. I, I will tell you the largest thing in our state budget is 41% goes to uh, kindergarten through 12 education. It's almost half the state budget. Yep. And another 34 and it's never enough. Yeah, never enough. They're always asking for more, you know. When I ran, they were saying I was against kids and all these things. And, and, and Republicans <laughs> typically get portrayed that, that we don't care about kids. We do. We well, just have to, we just have to watch our spending. Mm-hmm. Another 34% goes to health and human services. That's mm-hmm. your MA, your, your welfare programs, things like that. So right there between 34 and 41, you know, you're at, that, that's a big chunk. And if you keep increasing that, it's not sustainable. Are you finding competency? At the Capitol? Yep. Um, yeah, I, you, you know, can be terribly candid. Nobody listens yeah, to yeah, you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will tell you, and, and Governor Dayton was a very nice gentleman, and I worked uh, We with, all like him personally. Uh, I worked with him, but uh, just things weren't getting done, and, and I just met yesterday with Governor Walls. I've been big involved with this Min-Lars debacle and all mm-hmm. the things we've had, and, and I was really excited to hear uh, Tim Walls say that he's, you know, he's dedicated to getting this fixed. Um, and so it, it just brings a new a new wave. So you can't you don't have to blame the last person. He's a new fresh. He can come in and he can get things done. Mm-hmm. So we're looking forward to that. It was a very very positive meeting. So I'm excited about that. Um, so yeah, I, Minnesota has a lot to offer if we can watch. You know what what our spending is. We're the third highest tax station uh, tax state in the nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, businesses are leaving. I have a, a gentleman in Faribault who has a large company, KGP Communications. They've been acquiring larger business. And he said to me, you know, Johnny said, my mother, who started the business, wants to stay in Faribault because she has the roots to Faribault. Right. And she told me, you have to stay in Faribault because this is what our family is. But the longer that goes down in generation, the less ties there are. Right. 
And if you look at the tax consequences, he said we we would be down in Atlanta. Or, I can't remember where else he has locations, but he said we wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. Minnesota is not friendly with taxes. Mm-hmm. He said we'd be gone. He said if it wasn't for my mother telling me I had to keep the company here, <laughs> they'd be gone. Mm-hmm. And there's examples of that all over the state. There's there's people that are tied to Minnesota that you know want to keep their companies here, but if they have a choice, they look at that. That and, and, you know, the the death tax here in Minnesota, people are leaving to Florida when they get to the retirement age, and they're taking all their money out of the state. Mm -hmm. we got to keep that money in this state. Can you? We're going to try, but, you know, it seems to be a constant fight. Where are you on the legalization of marijuana? I'm just, I find myself continually amused at the hypocrites who won't even allow candy cigarettes to be sold at an ice cream parlor. They're now in favor of legalizing marijuana. Obviously, what they're seeing is a revenue stream, correct? Absolutely. Recreationally, I'm, I'm dead against it. There are some medical things that do do good with some kids with autism and some things like that or mm-hmm. people with autism. So there are some uses for it. For recreationally, though, it just it boggles me. And Aren't I, we I, stupid enough? <laughs> well, <laughs> don't, put, don't put them don't on the spot. Those words in my mouth. <laughs> I didn't put them in your no. mouth. I'll say it. I'm We're a, stupid enough. No, I'm going to tell you one thing. So I'm on the bonding committee. So we go across the state of Minnesota and we look at projects. Anybody that wants government or state finance funding from universities to bridges to roads to infrastructure to wastewater, all these things we cross the state. The number one thing I hear in every meeting is mental health. Mm-hmm. We have a mental health issue here in Minnesota. Uh, the regional centers back Back in the 70s and 80s were shut down. They went to group homes and things like that. So we have a mental health issue that the police aren't trained to, to deal with all the issues. Um, so e- the mental health cases that come in are either in jail or in the hospital, which is the two least places they should be or mm-hmm. the worst places. They should be in facilities. And this is around the state. This isn't just metro. This isn't outstate. This is everywhere you go. You hear about mental health. Okay, link that to the, the marijuana concern. So I think the mental health issues with marijuana bring up a lot of things. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. When I was in high school, late high school and college, I experimented with it, and I just don't think— You probably didn't inhale, though. Never inhaled. <laughs> no, just I like didn't. all of us at this table. <laughs> They'll probably use this against me, but right. I, I'm honest. I'm, again, I'm well, just a common guy. That gets a little, Hell, yeah. my trunk was full of ditch weed. Uh, Who are you so. kidding? <laughs> <laughs> so but looking at what it did to me in college— mm-hmm. I wasn't as uh, uh, eager. I wasn't as in motivated to study because it was, you know, you were kind of out there and mm-hmm. kind of having fun. And, and, and it, I don't say it got me in trouble, but it made me go in the military for four years because I was not doing well in college. And some of it was due to that. Mm-hmm. So I went in the military, really learned what, you know, leadership was, how to, you know, not to be involved with that, did great things for me. but. Right. Which, I just, which branch? I was in the United States Navy for four years from 86 to 90. So you're going to have to talk slower. Yeah, Navy guy. <laughs> well, I talk John, too fast, probably. Right. So John, what, what is the legislative process? Is there a bill proposed to put the question of the legalization of marijuana on the ballot? Is that how it's processing? There, there is right now. It just got introduced. There was a press conference, I believe it was on Monday. Uh, senator uh, Melissa Franzen is trying to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually a senator, a Republican senator on there. Senator Scott Jensen is mm-hmm. on that bill. I, I think he's in it just to... to, to at least talk about it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's in favor of it. And I think the, just the discussion has to come up. But I'm not for it. I, and, and to be honest, and I like Tim Walls. I met him. But as a school teacher, mm-hmm. a football coach, and a veteran, how can you be in favor of recreational marijuana? Utter it, hypocrisy. It just it it you know yeah. And the St. Paul City Council, John, voted to ban adults 
from buying menthol cigarettes in the city of St. Paul, yeah. but they're on board for the legalization of marijuana. Yeah. This is greed. Yeah. I think it's greed, and yeah. they don't give a damn about the health consequences. But when you look at something from that standpoint on a financial, if you're looking at financial, you cannot, you have to look at is it good or is it bad? Mm-hmm. And leave the the revenues right. out of it. Even if they bring in revenues, I think Colorado is looking at this, the revenues they bring in are offset by all the programs and all the issues they have to deal with on the other side. Isn't that something? Their traffic. This is not a good idea. No. no. Traffic casualties in Colorado have gone up 6% since wow. marijuana was introduced. It's amazing. As it's just amazing to and me that these... Hypocrites want to do this. We, led by yeah. walls. But it yeah. might slow you down to the point where you can't text while you're driving. Maybe that's it. Maybe? No, yeah. I'm kidding. No. I'm totally kidding. That issue's out there as well. We can talk about all kinds of those. Oh. So transportation, I'm the vice chair of transportation, so that's really my area of, of what I've been involved with in, in my interest level. I'm obviously I'm on other committees, but transportation is kind of my main area. So I actually have the slowpoke bill again this year. Meaning uh, what? What that allows is if you're going slower, you have to stay in the right lane right. and use the left lane to pass. Right. We right. brought this up when this when you when you mentioned this. I I I told Joe, or maybe it came up during Johnny's newscast, and we were all saying, "Why isn't this already enacted?" You know, get over, buddy. Right, yep. John. You probably have to take what I call the practice freeway all the time to go back home. That that stretch of thirty five from the <laughs> yes. capital across the river. Yes, the forty five mile an hour practice. Well, to speedway. me, it's been a great source of amusement <laughs> to go in, uh, and to go forty five in the right. In, I stay in the right lane and I go forty five just to watch the anger of people trying to just speed past me. And I just give them all. How you doing? How you doing? As long as you're in the right lane, you're okay. With oh, it. If, I'm, yeah, if yeah. you're the guy in the left lane going exactly forty five miles an hour and not looking behind you, will not move. No. They're trying to be too virtuous. Yeah. Stay in the right lane. You know, one of the things I've always wanted to know, uh, I, I'm very anti-texting and driving, as I'm sure most people are, but how much of that is actually being documented? In other words, there are so many crashes, in my opinion, related to distracted driving and people that are on their phone, or they're checking social media, they're texting, whatever, but oftentimes it's not documented because it can't be proven. Is that how, how accurate is that? I believe you're correct. I, you know, I met with Colonel Langer, who's the uh, in charge of the state patrol, and he believes, in his personal opinion, about fifty percent of the accidents are related to distracted driving. Isn't that Jesus. something? Isn't uh, that something? And, and I'll be honest. Last year, the bill came up in the Senate Transportation Committee, and it was the first and ever bill I've actually what they technically call walked on. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if I should vote in favor of it or against it. So when the vote came up, I was not at the table. You know, at that time, I thought, you know. The people that, you know, taking away all your personal freedoms and the phone and things like that are looking at versus or tuning your radio or, or reaching for a French fry or having your dog crawling around in the car, all those things, you know, it could be anything. When you listen to the stories and listen to the people of, of what those accidents have been and have families come in who have had, had a distracted driver who's been texting, cross the center line, cross the left lane, and hit someone over in the complete other lane, mm-hmm. it, it just, it, it's so sad. So... I don't know what will happen with it. We've introduced I'm the co-author of it in the Senate. Senator mm-hmm. Newman is actually there. Uh, I've come around. I've, I've seen Highway 14 is big. One thing that I've been involved with is getting the funding for that. And there was a death this summer down there of a school teacher and her daughter who got basically run over by a Hummer. I remember the case. The gentleman was driving and putting his phone away and basically drove right over the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, just sad. We, uh, Senator Senjum and myself from Rochester went to the wake and the funeral. And, and that really was both of our turning points. 
Uh, Senator Senjum is a senator down in Rochester. He's mm-hmm. been in the Senate for a long time. I, he's a real mentor to me, and uh, he's probably as guilty as texting and driving as anybody is, and he'll tell you that. Well, uh, he's got to stop. Yes, and he's done that. And But, you know, he was kind of the same thing. You know, do you, don't you, taking the phone away. I'm sorry, not texting, of, of uh, talking on the phone. And uh, he said this is, this is a, a moving point for me. He says we got to do this. We just have to, based on the deaths. And all these things happening, you just have to look at it. And just changed our attitude when you're driving what you do. And in today's technology, it has improved so much. Mm-hmm. You know, you, I do it now. I have a, a, a holder on my phone, and I actually have hands three through my Dodge. But I also just, you know, saying, hey, Siri, do this. Mm-hmm. You know, text this person or navigate to here. It's gotten so simple now, and it, it's just so automated that I think time is now. We just have to do it. Why was, there, why was it met with opposition? I'm curious. Do you do you think in your in your opinion? Oh, I, I think you know people look at well, what's the difference of looking at my phone or having my phone in my hand versus turning the radio up or down or reaching for a pop or those things, mm. taking those freedoms away. Okay. Um, you look into those things. I think that's some of it because there's so many things that can cause distracting driving, and it's difficult to enforce. You know, distracted driving. I mean, you're, you know, on the commutes in the in the day in the evening, you're trying to get to work, and so to pull someone over for doing something like that almost causes a worse of a traffic backup than it does by pulling that person over. Hmm. So I, and, and to, you know, and I talked to general, uh, I'm sorry, Colonel Langer told me, he says, Minnesota is Minnesota nice. They'll be, mostly they'll be honest. They'll get pulled over for doing something on your phone. Yeah, you know, I shouldn't do it. I'm sorry. But the other person will say, well, I was just looking up a phone book or looking up an address or looking up a contact, which is technically legal. So they, hmm. they, there's a lot of gray area of what they can and can't do now because of what the person, you know. And again, he said 90% of the people are honest. They said, I shouldn't be doing it, right. I, but you caught me. I'm guilty. But the 10% will come up with some excuse why they weren't doing what they weren't supposed to doing. So this just actually makes it easier for them to enforce. Uh, so, Starting with prevention of a gas tax increase, what are the five most principal things that interest you? Well, you know, our caucus mental health is huge. The health care crisis is huge. Not the health care crisis, but the insurance and the rates and the, in, you know, the independent insurance people or the, you know, the small-time farmers that are trying to get independent policy, and it's outrageous in price. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a big thing. Um, you know, trying to keep taxes down, we've got to get Minnesota lower in taxes. Like I said, they're the third highest tax state in the nation. We need to work on that to get that down well, somewhere in the middle. You're preaching to the choir here. Yeah. Yep. Um, what else do we have? There's there's lots of things out there. Mental health, as I said, um, there's a lot of issues we have to take care of. Has this experience at the state level uh, maybe ignited in you a desire for to seek higher office, even? You know, it would be tough for me to leave Minnesota. Mm-hmm. To be honest, I don't know if I'd want to be going back and forth to Washington, having that life. I just, you know, I don't know if I'm at that. But I, I'll definitely stay in in government here in Minnesota. At some point, you know, who knows where I go next? I'm a Got elected this year as the system majority leader, so mm-hmm. that's uh, to do a, to do that after two years is exciting for me. Uh, in May, I got elected as a emerging leader from Minnesota, so I get to tour with a group called Go Pack, and is what we do is to go to national events, and then national groups like a Delta Airlines or a 3M or a Honeywell come and meet with us as legislators. So if they have an issue in California or Minnesota or Missouri or Atlanta, they have contacts throughout the nation. So we meet with them versus them going out and going, you know, going to Wisconsin to meet legislators, going to Iowa to meet legislators, going to California to meet legislators. They meet us in one area, and then if they have an issue, they call us. So I've gotten involved in that, and that's been very exciting to to meet those people. And then they also have a leadership program to make you a better leader and give you 
tips on you know how to get things done and being more effective in those things. So it's a great program that I've got involved with in May. I've been to three or four of those events, so that's great for me. So I continue to try and go to the next level. So at some point, you know, I'll, I'll move up. How's your relationship with the DFL, your DFL counterparts in the Senate? You know. I would say the majority of them I get along very well. I'm a very relationship-based guy. I mean, I was we had a bar in Faribault, you know that, uh, Chris, and, and I was a bartender. So I think that having those personal relationships and being able to talk with people and be down to earth and, and be honest, I think is good. I have some really good friends. Senator David Tomasoni is a Democrat from the Iron Range, right. one of my best friends at the legislature. Dan Sparks from down at Albert Lee is a Democrat. I have lots of Democrat friends up there. I think you have to do that. That's a hopeful note. You have to sit down and listen to, hey, why do you vote this way? And let them know why we vote our way and try and at least come up. I will tell you that it seems to me it's tougher as the younger, younger, new liberals, that the progressives that are just, they're just so far out there, you know, against what I believe. It's mm-hmm. difficult. But there's a, still a pretty pretty good group of people that kind of, you're not that far apart. I mean, we're, on a lot of issues, you know, 90, you know, 90% of a lot of stuff is nonpartisan. You mm-hmm. can agree on things to get Minnesota to do better things. But when you come down to your core values, abortion versus no abortion, or, or, you know, marijuana or no marijuana, or higher taxes or lower taxes, then you get into some tougher things. But, and maybe it's not 90%. I would say 80% of the deal, the issues we deal with are nonpartisan. They shouldn't be, I should say. What is your lapel pin? What, what is that? A Minnesota Senate member. Oh, okay. Yep. Oh. I didn't know you needed a badge. <laughs> you don't, but you it's wear your free it. coffee in the commissary. <laughs> it is not. <laughs> uh, are you in session today? Uh, no, we are not. Typically on Fridays, we uh, are in session Monday through Thursdays. And then you had a cold weather cancellation this week. Yeah, Wednesday they canceled committee meetings, but we were still up there. Yeah. We had people coming up to you know other meetings with lobbyists and we, other groups like a bait was up there. The motorcycle group right. was up there, so they were there. So we got more work done, but the, actually the committee meetings were uh, were canceled. And then we actually uh, Senator Dwayne Benson, who was a fellow right. senator, passed right. away. Right. So on Thursday, we had several people that went down to that in Lanesboro, mm-hmm. so we didn't have a lot of things. We gaveled in, gaveled out to allow these senators the respect to go down and, and attend the funeral in the, uh, down there. So. Do you feel that the Senate works hard enough? I in do. other words, why, why, why you, you mentioned it earlier, why is it inevitable that we'll have a two-week crunch time in May? Why can't these things be go- done in order? Um, you know, I've only been there two years, and I, you would th- That's long enough, John. <laughs> get the ball rolling. Get the wheel Come on, John. There's a lot of process, and, you know, and I know this sounds terrible, but to change a law shouldn't be easy. Mm-hmm. You should have to go through a process, listen to both sides, debate it, uh, go through those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and you get a bill, and I, you, I'm sure you guys know government. It goes into the Senate, goes into the House, and they debate it in the House, and we debate it in the Senate. And you have a you know a bunch of different ideas and beliefs what how that should be changed, and then it gets passed out in both the House and the Senate, and then it has to come back through conference committee, and you have to find something where it's common ground so it's the same, and then you then have to have the governor degree to it. So mm-hmm. it's it's a long process to go through those to have the hearings, um, get the bills in. It's just you know there's a lot of things happening up there. I think there's 800 bills been introduced so far already in in basically one month or just around a month. That's our amazing. Edu- our yeah. education with bill making is. I'm just a bill sitting on cat bed all here. <laughs> Saturday morning cartoons. Is that a Channel you 2 every day? Yes. 
Uh, no, if you're outside 50 miles, you can have a location. You oh, can yeah? have an apartment in St. Paul. Yeah. I'm only about 54 miles out, but I just would rather spend time in St. Paul than commuting back and forth uh, two hours a day. So. Right. I stay up there. I go up on Sunday nights late, about 10 o'clock at night, get up there situated so I don't have to fight the, the practice freeway right. on uh, Monday mornings. And then uh, on about Thursday, if you don't get out of town by about 3 o'clock, you might as well just wait till 6 because that's when right. the traffic is bad. So usually I sit around till about 6 o'clock getting things done on Thursday night, and then I head home and then go back up on Sunday night. What should we be anticipating in the coming weeks? What, what would be a, an insider's view of what we might be anticipating from the legislature? Well, up until now, we've had a lot of kind of informational meetings. We've got 39 new uh, legislators in the House, so they're getting up to speed on issues and kind of doing a lot of overviews. A lot of bills have been introduced, so those will start going through the committee process, going from one committee to the next and getting amended and getting approved and things like that. So that's continuing on. There's a deadline. I I don't have the exact deadlines yet, but I think the first deadline to have your bills through committee is in Mm -hmm. mid-March. Deadlines this year are ahead of what they were last year, so they're more aggressive to try and get things done so that last couple weeks isn't so hectic. And we try and get these bills done. It just seems that they either get held up in a committee or there's people right. coming in and it just you know gets to the end. It would be much nicer. And I, I honestly, I know Governor Walls uh, is now saying he would like to get that done sooner, and, I, and I'm hoping that's true. Mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, I tend to believe him. I've had a relationship with him for a while. When I was the mayor, he came in through two floods, and we had the tornado as a senator uh, September of this last year. I met with him, and he seems to be that, you know, to this point, I would say I'm – Pessimistically optimistic. <laughs> well, if so that's what possible, I'm, what, I'm, <laughs> what I'm hoping. <laughs> Joe just is going to steal that term from you. So. It's oxymoronic <laughs> to be pessimistically optimistic, but I think I understand what you mean. So at this point, I'm, I'm hoping for the best, and we all are up there as well. Mm-hmm. So I think you know we, we want to get things done. That's the number one thing I heard when I was out knocking doors. You know, three years ago, was you know people get so frustrated because things don't get done. Right. Mm-hmm. And and we try and get things done, but you again you always can't believe or always can't believe that have the same beliefs or those core values. So those are the tougher things that get done. But we have to get a lot of things done before we get to that last couple of weeks when the when the tougher the stuff will come. You said you questioned yourself uh, whether you should leave the uh, mayor's position, for example, and run for the state senate, and you did, and you won. Are you glad? Are you glad you did it? Oh, absolutely, yes, very much. You know, you've I did eight years. Again, you go through the certain cycles, and you kind of get the thing, and you feel like you kind of need the next something to be interested. Right. And it gets, a, I don't say it gets boring, but it, mm-hmm. it gets to this kind of be a little bit mundane. So you have to go to the next level and get things. So you've gone in from you know, doing conditional use permits and hearing about the, your snow plowing isn't good enough or too good or, you know, all these different things to now you're up to another level to education and to transportation. And there's just so much more involved to get engaged mm-hmm. with. So it, it really makes your interest level go up. So I really enjoy it. There's some great people up there. Uh, you know, Democrat, Republican staff, there's some great people. Uh, we want to get things done. It's just not always so easy because people have a lot of different beliefs, and you just have to work some of those things out. Well, we're rooting for you, and we thank you for taking the time to come in. One yeah. thing I want to ask you too, John, he's, John's really active on social media. And one of the things you put out on Facebook, I, I can't remember the timeline, but it was a few months back, but the percentage breakdown of the state's budget on transportation, fixing roads, things of that nature. And what was the number that you had? It's about 80% is between the 494-694 loop in terms of outstate spending on roads. I found that number astounding. Well, that was the last uh, they they had done that, and and it's called quarters of commerce, and and they go out, and these are typically not in what they call a STIP, the standard transportation 
transportation improvement plan. It's projects they could do, and they they we wanted what we called a balanced across the state or across the state. And MnDOT came in and put them all right in the middle of the metro. It was there. There was nothing outstate Minnesota, so we really fought against that. And that's actually how I got Highway 14 done. Was we sure. complained so much, and and I <laughs> played a lot of games with that one. I actually brought the. Uh, uh, the commissioner of transportation in Charlie Zelli, and I said, you know, you're going to probably retire here when the, when Governor Dayton's gone. I said, but I'm going to uh, propose an amendment that if we don't get this done this year, we're going to rename that stretch of Highway 14 the Charlie Zelli Neglected Highway. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well. And he says, Why Senator, not? He says, Senator, do you want to do that? And I said, oh, yes, I yes, would. I would. <laughs> yes, I would. And I'll get a hearing every single year. And I don't think that's the whole thing that got it done, but I, I know it made him look twice when yeah. I did that. So, um you got to do what you got to do. So uh, transportation is big thing. So, uh, you know, I'm going to continue plugging away. Greater Minnesota, I think, a lot of times gets forgotten about. There's so much uh, density of voters in the metro that Greater Minnesota sometimes gets overlooked. So I'm going to fight every day to make sure Greater Minnesota does not get overlooked. We'd love to stay in touch with you as the year plays out. So as long as you got me on there, I got it. So I've heard about this cylinder index. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm going to are you about you, to embarrass yourself? Or I'm going to embarrass myself, oh, but I'm also going to show you some impressive stuff here. So I think I'm at 26. That's pathetic. Which is pathetic. <laughs> I know. What are you, 50, <laughs> 52, are you? 52, are you? 52. 52. Yeah, 52. So that's not. Yeah. But I have a friend, and I'm going to mention his name is Al Lacan. He's from Faribault. Oh, yeah. Al moved uh, down to Arizona back in 78, and I was just talking to him yesterday because I knew I was coming on the air. So I said, all right, I'm going to the show tomorrow. I want to at least talk to you about your cylinder index. All right. So he went on for about 15, 20 minutes. He started out at 232 Whoa. cylinders, yep. personally owned vehicles. That's good. Two hundred. That's wow. impressive. I don't know if there's yeah, a that's record very here. That's impressive. That's and not that, even near a record, but okay. I'll, I'll tell the guy. <laughs> no, this right. is just personal. This is, <laughs> that's you know, way high. I'm not talking to an auto dealership guy who owns an auto dealership that's counting those. This right. is his personal vehicles. Right. And then he started to, oh, I fought two golf carts, four quads. Uh, all this, counts. All yep. counts. 282 cylinders. He's getting better. So that's wow. pretty good, right? That's, that's, that's pretty good. Wow. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. The goal is to be at or near your age. Well, yeah, and he's only, I think Al's probably 61. Maybe. Well, he's, he's way ahead of the curve. Then. So that's pretty good, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, but look what you got to look forward to. Yeah. You're aware of the, uh, do you get along <laughs> with your wife? I have a. I actually do not have a wife, but I have an ex-wife. Okay, and I so get, you didn't along get along phenomenally with well. No, I get along better now that we're, we're divorced than we well, do when we're married. I was going to tell you why. I was going to say. I was going to say. You know. You know about the forty-eight hour rule. Uh, no, I don't. Okay, forty-eight hour rule is usually applied to items of a kind. For example, let's say you collected outboard motors, and let's say you had fifteen of them in the garage. Okay. It, it's really likely that your partner wouldn't notice a sixteenth one. Yeah. So you, but you can't hide it, yep. and you can't, you can't, you can't drape a canvas over it. You got to line it up with the others, and you have forty-eight hours. If on the forty-ninth hour, she says, "Wait a minute, isn't that a new lawnmower or uh, outboard motor? Where'd that come from?" You get to say, "Well, are you kidding me? That's been here forever. I don't know how long it's been there." <laughs> she had to wait forty-eight hours. Yep. If she gets you in forty-eight hours, out the motor goes. Yeah, she got you. But if on the fiftieth hour. <clears throat> She said, wait a minute, is that a new one? You said, I don't know what you're talking about. That thing's been around here since June. <laughs> you, and you, if you, you do get caught, if you do get caught, you go right to the fail-safe three prices. You know the three prices you pay? <laughs> What's that? The price you pay, the price you told her you paid, and the price you'll pay when she finds out the price you paid. See? <laughs> See? So I have, I have a friend in, in Faribault, and he, uh, back in the 90, late 90s, Articat came out with a lime green snowmobile. Oh, I yeah. remember that. Oh, so, yeah. so he bought the first lime green snowmobile. 
Well, for the next 10 years, he had to keep buying green snowmobiles. Well, <laughs> so, his, so his wife didn't recognize it was a new there's, one. There's a term for that in garage logic called goldfish. Goldfish. Gold, it's called goldfish. Okay. Okay. Who notices a different goldfish? Uh, so that's Jay Valentine, Cedar Lake Electric and Fairbanks. <laughs> oh, wait, wait to out the guy now. I got out oh, the guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think she knows by now, and I got to bring up Jay's name because I know for the first, he kept buying green snowmobiles so that Barb wouldn't realize he got a new snowmobile. <laughs> Say, John, is it Federated down in your area? Federated yeah. Insurance? Federated is. They're, uh, they're great folks. Well, we're glad to have them. And the Federated Mutual Insurance Company tailors its insurance programs to individual businesses. They offer property and casualty, life, disability, income insurance to businesses and select industries. But the greatest part is their marketing reps get to know the business owners, and they'll customize the insurance coverage you need. If driving's a significant part of your business, they'll talk to you about liability. They'll even talk to you about the potential of a cyber attack, which is probably not far-fetched in this strange world we live in. Your business is unique. You need an insurance carrier who treats it that way. Get in touch with a federated insurance marketing rep to see how their second-to-none service can help your business thrive. Federated insurance, it's their business to protect yours. Uh, John Kaczynski, thank you very much. And uh hope we chat again. You right? Thanks right. for having me. Yeah, great. thank you. Thank you. Continued success. All right, uh, all of you uh, politicians that are listening to John here today, uh, you want to go to garagelogic.com to get caught up on all of our previous podcasts. Check it out online, garagelogic.com. Don't forget to rate us on Apple iTunes and check out the features page and the website. The drop-down will give you what's on the mayor's bookshelf and the latest creations from Mr. Greg Holcomb, garagelogic.com.